0: All right, good evening. want to welcome you out tonight. Thank you guys so much for coming out. And so uh, we will open up with a couple of announcements. And so I do want to share a few things uh, that we're really excited about. So one thing that we've mentioned, um, not Sunday, but we mentioned it the Sunday before and last Wednesday. Um, so many of you know this already, but just as a reminder, um, Abby Corbett, one of our... Uh, college age uh, students here at the church. Um, She helps in our uh, student ministry upstairs. She does worship for them and stuff on Wednesday nights. Uh, She has an opportunity to go to Paris uh, during the Olympics to do a missions trip. And so kind of like an evangelistic trip. So at the Welcome Center are these little cards that give you all the information you need. They're really kind of prayer cards, but we really want to encourage you, if you feel led of the Lord to be a part of this, to support her also financially. And so she shared a little bit uh, a couple Sundays ago. So if you want to grab one of these, um, she, I, I believe she has to raise about $3,000. And so um, it's been great to hear that, that some, of, some have already started to support her. So she's excited for that. Um, but just grab one of these cards. How you can give and everything is on there. Um, as I said last Wednesday, do not make it out to the church. Uh, this is not like through North Goodland. She's going through a different uh, church's group, and so make it out to what the card says. Okay, so there's a QR code, so you can do it online. Or if it's a check, it talks about where to, where to make the check out to and all that stuff. Or you can just go give it to her uh, directly in cash or whatever the Lord might lead. So if you have any questions, go grab one of the cards by the Welcome Center there. They're by the sign-up sheets now. Or uh, she is here, like I said, she's upstairs, so you might be able to see her after and ask her any questions you have on that. All right. But I would encourage you, number one, to be praying for her. Uh, this is a great opportunity to minister to people literally from all over the world as they're coming in for the Olympics. But also, we want to really support her financially as well. Um, I know on missions trips that I've had an experience to go to, um, the church really rallied and supported. And so really... uh, one big thing is the upcoming skating event. No if they're in Word of Life. And so this is kind of through Word of Life, but not really. Um, it's really for the whole family. It doesn't matter if they're in Word of Life or not even people from outside our church. Um, On Saturday, March 2nd, from 11.30 to 1.30, we're basically going to be renting out the uh, skating rink in Lapeer. Uh, So $10 per skater. That includes skate rentals uh, and lunch, which is pizza and pop. Uh, You can sign up at the Welcome Center. You can also uh, pay online if you would like or pay when you go to the Welcome Center. If you have questions on that, you can see me or Kelsey. You can see Sandra tonight as well, um, and she can give you more information on that. But really do want to encourage you. uh, We need 50 skaters to be able to do the event. So uh, the sooner you sign up and the sooner you pay... The, the better. So we really know what we have as far as a group. So uh, the kids received a little kind of like postcard size invites. Um, t- last Wednesday, there are some more of those at the Welcome Center as well, if you want to grab one. And if you want to invite someone else, maybe a, a family member or some friends that have kids, um, it's open to kids, again, of all ages. Uh, adults are welcome to skate. Um, it doesn't matter who the 50 skaters are. It doesn't have to be 50 kids, but we just need 50 skaters in total. Um, we can go above that as well. Um, and so we'll let you know more about that if that happens but it's still the same cost okay as far as i know it's still 10 bucks for either way so very exciting to do this it was a great turnout last year um doors open at 11:15 so you can get there a little bit early if you'd like and i'm excited for that all right any questions on the skating event any questions about that okay i'm only going to hit a couple more here um, Forever Young has their potluck coming up on March 3rd. So that's our 50-plus ministry. Uh, They're going to have a fellowship lunch right after service on March 3rd. So don't forget about that. And then also uh, we have a baptism Sunday uh, coming up on March 3rd as well. Um, And so I know we just had one uh, January 21st, I believe. And so uh, we have, as of now, one gentleman that would like to be baptized. And so that's the date that we gave him, and he's ready to do that. And so very exciting about that. A newer gentleman to our Um, that has never been baptized following his uh, salvation. And so he's coming to do that. And then uh, tentatively, something very unique that we've not really done in a long while is uh, we may actually have a baptism at our Good Friday service. Um, it's like 99% Going to happen. Um, so, we're really excited about that as well. So, just excited as the Lord has been moving in the church, uh, bringing in uh, new families and then also those that still need to, to take those steps of obedience in their walk with Christ. Um, also, uh, ladies' Bible study starting up. So, we'll give you more information about that on Sunday. So, we'll be looking forward to that. And then, also, something I want to make sure you guys know about that we're really excited about. I posted it on Facebook. Um, Yesterday is uh, we have uh, a Voice of the Martyrs virtual event that we're going to be taking part in. And so uh, we did this actually probably 2021 uh, around the same time of the year. So basically what this is, is it's kind of like Voice of the Martyr. Voice of the Martyrs used to do conferences before COVID uh, where they would go to a church and you'd have like three speakers and somebody, you have worship, somebody would speak and share their story, their testimony of whatever they've been going through in their certain area of the world. Worship, speaker, worship, speaker kind of a thing um, in uh, after COVID, which just is kind of a blessing is they started doing uh, along with their in-person stuff, some virtual events, making it possible where churches could actually stream an event. Because before, in order to host one of their conferences, you had to be in a city of a certain size, guarantee a certain number of people can come, because they're free events, they're free conferences. So they want to make sure that enough people would be a part of it. So we never really able to do that. I wanted to do it for a long time, weren't able to do it. So now that we can do the virtual events, we really have an opportunity to be a part of something awesome. So we did this a couple years ago. And so on um, March 8th, uh, I believe I'm getting that date, right? March 8th. Um, we're going to be hosting one of those. It's a Friday night, and we're going with the schedule that they put forth. So it starts at 8 o'clock and goes until, I believe, 10 o'clock. Now, the last time we did this, it was really more like 8 to like nine thirty, nine forty-five. but I think they say 8 to 10 is just kind of that window. So you're going to get to hear from three different speakers. Uh, Steve and Curtis Chat, totally free, no cost needed for this. Um, we are going to have very, very, probably just coffee and tea available. Um, it, this is not like, you know have popcorn, bring a blanket, like watch a movie, um, this is, think of it like a worship service. And so we're going to come together, and I really want to uh, see a big turnout for this, because I hope the Lord will use it to encourage us, but also we can begin to continue to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ overseas, who are going through very difficult things, obviously for Christ. And so the more awareness we can have of that in our prayer life, it, the better. And so don't miss out on this. March 8th, totally free, right here at the church, 8 to 10, um, and it's going to be awesome. All right, any questions? 8 to 10 p.m., yes, Friday night from 8 to 10, okay? Oh, also, um, because of the kind of event it is, uh, there is no childcare uh, available for this. So I apologize about that. But with the time and everything, I know that would be kind of tricky. And some of you, your little ones wouldn't be up at nine, ten o'clock at night anyway. So uh, you may want to just have grandma and grandpa put them down to bed or something like that, but it's going to be an amazing night. Um, as far as ages on this, somebody did ask me, you know, hey, could my kids who are elementary age kids, could they come and be a part of this? Um, Voice of the Martyrs doesn't restrict. They don't say a certain age and up, um, but obviously you know your children or your grandchildren. If you believe that they can sit through something that's going to talk about people that have been persecuted, the types of persecutions, it's not going to show it as much as most likely talk about it. Um, That's between you and and your kids or grandkids. You know what they can kind of handle that way. Um, We're not going to say the child has to be a certain age and up, but we're going to leave that to the discretion of the parents or grandparents. Okay? Any questions about that or any other events that are upcoming? Yes, Jeff. Yes, we will have one. I just don't have one to announce to you just yet. So I'm still kind of prayerfully looking at a few different options here. So, um, yeah. So pray for that, I guess. Pray that the Lord will give me wisdom on that. So I don't always love some of the options that I see come across, but any other questions about any upcoming events or anything? Activities? All right. So let's go ahead and open in prayer, and then we'll jump into our devotion. Father, we thank you for this evening. Father, we thank you for just an opportunity to gather and to worship you and. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the church. We thank you for the body of Christ. And that we can gather in this place to have fellowship. To encourage one another to pray with and for one another. To hear from your word. To study your word, Lord. To see it applied to our hearts and minds by your amazing grace. By the way you work in and through us. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to glean something tonight from your word. That we can apply to our lives practically. And, Father, we do pray for all these upcoming events and activities, Lord. Uh, for the fun and fellowship type events to the more serious events. And we pray that all of it would bring glory and honor to you. And we pray that relationships will be built. We pray that we'll be challenged and encouraged in your word, uh, challenged by what's going on all over the world uh, for the cause of Christ, so that we might be reminded that we are uh, one church of believers. And when part of the body uh, suffers, we all suffer. And when part of the body rejoices, we are rejoiced. And so, Lord, we just want to remember those that are in chains as though we are in chains with them. And so I pray that you would be with this event that we're doing here in just a couple of weeks. I pray that it'd be a great encouragement to the church. I pray that... Every church that's streaming this this event will be blessed and encouraged. And again, Lord, that we would be reminded that we have it uh, tough in some ways in this country, Lord. There's some difficult seasons we go through in this country. uh, But Lord, when we really hear the stories of our brothers and sisters and what they're going through, we should be so thankful for the freedom we have, the blessings we have in this nation to proclaim the gospel. And Lord, uh, again, may it just drive us to... Be more bold, more open to share our faith and to be excited for what you're doing. And so we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. Father, be with tonight, Lord. Uh, be with all the kids' ministries, Lord, the student ministry. Just uh, bless them and encourage them, Lord, as they're in your word. And, and again, building relationships through fellowship and activities. Uh, Lord, again, I thank you for every volunteer leader. And just continue to work through them, Father. Again, we'll give you all the praise and all the glory we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so t- into Revelation. And so we'll pick up where we left off last time. So as normal, I know you guys love this. I need a couple of volunteers. So I need a handout volunteer, a clipboard volunteer, and a pen volunteer. Who wants to help us with that? You want to do clipboards? Okay, you want to do that or pens? I feel like Paige is the pen person. That's just like your role. All right, so if you'd like a, a clipboard, we have those. Uh, everyone, or well, not everyone needs a handout. If you want to share a handout, that's fine in this case. Pens, pens are going around. Thank you very much. That's easier than paper? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's true. I just hand them a stack and say, sort it out yourself. You know what I mean? All right. Does everyone have a handout, a clipboard if you would like or need one, and a pen? Does anyone not have something they need? All right. So... We are, as I said, we're jumping back into our Revelation study. And so we have been kind of going through this study now since, oh goodness, probably July, something like that. Um, We've taken some breaks for different things. Um, And I kind of mentioned that early on that, you know, there's going to be times where we maybe step away from Revelation for... Uh, a one-week study on something, or if the Lord kind of brings something to my mind uh, for us to look at, um, we're going to kind of move that direction. So we did that for a couple of weeks. We were in Psalm 51, kind of breaking apart the Psalm and letting it be an encouragement to us. So as we get back into Revelation, uh, we are in chapter 17. And now tonight, again, uh, we've done this a few times is we're going to summarize a couple chapters and then spend some of our time in one of the chapters. So our goal is to get from 17 to 19. So we're going to kind of summarize 17 and 18, give you basically an overview of what's being talked about there. Then we'll dive into 19, okay? So that's kind of the goal, and that's how your handout is broke down there. Um, real quick, as a review, uh, we've studied a lot through Revelation so far. Um, what kind of—the Bible's broken up into different types of literature— We've talked about this a lot, but it helps us in understanding context and understanding interpretation. So we just need to review quickly. What type of literature is Revelation considered? Yes. Predominantly prophecy. Not all of it, right? Because we talked about the seven letters to the seven churches, and we believe those are literal churches that actually existed, that received those those letters. And then it became a general letter to the church, right? Revelation began to be circulated to all the churches. And so, In my opinion, those seven letters, I don't consider those prophecy. Now, you can, in a sense, say there's principles and things we see there that you can say this will continue to happen or this is going to happen. But really, the prophecy kind of starts off after the seven letters, right? Chapter four and forward. So it's a prophetic book and it's seen that way a lot, but some people actually look at it as just one of the letters in the New Testament because that's kind of how it was originally intended. Now, we talked about this too. Uh, quickly, who's the author of this letter or this book of prophecy, however you want to see it? John, right? The apostle John. We know that he was uh, isolated on the island of Patmos when he wrote this, okay? And if you were with us when we did the seven church's video. Uh, we, uh, we do have those two. There's, I believe, two videos. Um, those are available in the library, so you can check those out. I, I took them home. We watched one of them at home. I still got to bring the other one home, but I know we, as a family, we really enjoyed it, found it very informative. Um, and so we know John's the author. And then what is kind of the, the purpose of Revelation? We talked about this a little bit early on and, and multiple times since. What's the One of, or the purposes, one of the purposes of Revelation? Yeah, to encourage the believers, right? It's an encouragement to the believers. What's another purpose or or, uh, desired outcome from the book of Revelation? Yes, Revelation is considered the most Christ-exalting book in the New Testament, if not the whole Bible which is a pretty powerful thing to say, but when you study it out, a lot of different commentators will say that, that actually Revelation is the most Christ-exalting book in all of the New Testament, okay, if not the Bible. So it's meant to be encouraging. It's meant to be Christ-exalting. And what's the other kind of way that we should view the book of Revelation? We said there's a lot of symbolism for that prophetic, not quite, but the prophetic aspect of it brings in a lot of symbolism and some figurative language. Practical. Remember we talked about it? It's a practically encouraging book for the believer and it's Christ exalting. So that's the keys in this. Most Christians don't think of Revelation as practical though, right? Because of the prophetic nature of it, especially when we get into some of the chapters we've been going through now with all the different um, various uh, judgments and the, tr- the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments and the uh, vile judgments and all that. We've kind of seen a lot of that and it's like, whoa, that's all kind of like over my head. But remember, the, we can kind of take all that we're reading and see the purpose and the principle in these things is what? To be encouraging to the believer, right? To be practical. How is it practical and how is it encouraging to know the things we've already studied in Revelation? Why is that? Practically encouraging to the believer today? And why would it have been to them 2,000 years ago? Just think of some of the things we talked about from the heavenly aspects of worship to the things we see it happening during the time of the tribulation and all of that. Why, why are those things encouraging? How would those things be encouraging to the believer then and the believer today? What's that? We know that Christ wins. Yeah, I, I love that. Christ wins, right? Like no matter what we go through, Christ has and will overcome. Right? And and actually, it was kind of um, interesting. I was reading in, and I'm going to go there real quick because I can't remember the exact wording, but Psalm. Uh, I've been reading through the book of Psalms in the morning, and uh, I put it down for a little bit, took a break between book one and book two. But Psalm, uh, watch me forget which one it is. Psalm 56, I believe I was in. Yes. Yes. So Psalm 56, he talks about, hmm, let me just find it real quick here. Okay, verse 8. So Psalm 56, verse 8. This is what David's talking about, the pressure of all these enemies rising against him. He has enemies all around him. He feels all this pressure that they're just kind of coming against him constantly. But then he reminds himself... In verse five, he says, every day they rest my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. So it's bad, right? It's like they're all coming against them. And then he says in verse eight, thou tellest my wanderings, put them or put thou my tears into thy bottle and they, are they not in thy book? When I cry unto thee, then shall my enemies turn back. This I know for God is for me. So I love that. Now, God doesn't have an actual bottle that he's collecting our tears in right? So why does David say that? All my tears I've cried because of all this opposition and, and persecution, all the, the injustice that's happening. I know you're writing it in your book. Why is that an encouragement to this, that God is pouring out on humanity? It's rightfully deserved because guess what? All those Christians that were martyred that we read about, God knew every single one. And God is a, a having his vengeance against wickedness. So what David's saying in Psalm 56, Lord, I know this is hard. I know I've had a lot of opposition, but I know you're writing this all down. Basically, you're keeping track. You know what's going on right now, and you will make this right. What does Paul say in Romans 2? All that wickedness, you're just piling and accumulating more and more on the day of wrath. Believers all throughout biblical history have always understood this isn't fair. This isn't right. This is wrong. The wicked are prospering. The righteous are suffering. But God is just. And God will see that everything, all of it, will be held accountable. And so in Revelation, they're, they're encouraged because Christ wins. Because we know that Christ will have his victory. And we don't rejoice when those who are wicked are punished because we want to see them punished. We rejoice because God's holiness is displayed. God's righteousness is displayed. God's justice is magnified, right? That's why we rejoice. We take no pleasure in knowing of anyone that's suffering for their sin, right? That's not Christ-like. We don't, yes, I'm so thankful. You know what? They deserve it. That's such a pharisaical, legalistic mentality. And by the way, you deserve it. I deserve it, but by grace, right? So we don't wish the worst for our enemies, we don't say, okay, fine, I, I hope you are cast into hell. And No, 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 no. We want them to come to Christ and be repentant. But when God is showing his justice, his holiness, and all of his attributes are on display, he is glorified, we rejoice in his glory. So in Revelation, we see a lot of this type of language, right? We also talked about the fact that John needed moments of a little bit of a break in his Revelation, right? It's a lot. If you've ever read Revelation, imagine being John. And you're just getting all of this dumped on your lap. And you're just overwhelmed by it. You don't even know how to process it. But I love that there's these little moments where the throne of God, where he sees this this beautiful chapter about John seeing the heavenly worship, or the throne of God, where he sees the saints rejoicing, where he hears the songs and praises to God, where he sees these different things that are reminding him, okay, yes, this is a heavy thing to say. This prophecy is a lot for me to, to communicate but I can balance it out with the glory of God, the majesty of God, the worship of God. And I love that God does that for us. And so we're picking up in verse, or chapter 17. So we've covered quite a bit of ground. Again, we've gone through the different plagues. Uh, how many uh, plagues are there in total? So there's three groups of how many? Seven. So there's 777. Seven, seven. Now, we've said this before. Some, again, with Revelation, if you got 50 Christians, sold-out believers of Christ, I mean, they're just, love Jesus, love his word. You get 50 of them in this room, and you start talking about end times, you might have 75 to 80 opinions, right? Because for every one opinion in end times, there's this branch and this branch and this one. I'm a this and this and this, except for this, I'm over here, right? Right? I'm, I'm a pre-trib, I'm a post-trib, I'm a mid-trib. I'm, there's all different opinions on this, okay? So when, I, when we say things like, this is what the majority believe, this is what the, the most evangelicals believe, we're being very broad, okay? Of course, there's variations in this. But when you talk about those seven or three groups of seven, some believe it's actually seven, seven, and seven. How else do some people believe these judgments are uh, given out? Not seven consecutively, seven, seven, seven. What's another view that we talked about? Does anyone remember? Yes. So it's the same seven judgments just looked at three different ways, right? So they're not 21 judgments. There's only seven. But the next set of seven is just kind of reemphasizing a different aspect of this seven. So those are the two main ways that people view that. We believe, I believe... That was awesome. Uh, We believe that it's actually 21 judgments, that it's seven and then seven and then seven, primarily because that's how the text reads. Um, If somebody believes it's the same seven three times, we're not going to argue with it. We're not going to fight about it, but that's just our view on that. So we've just kind of come out of that. Okay. And now we're in chapter 17. Now, 17 and 18 are interesting language. This is some of that symbolism we talked about before. So I'm just going to kind of give you a quick idea of what 17 and 18 talk about. Okay, so um, let's see. Okay, so at the top of your notes there, uh, we are moving into chapter 17 and 18 in our study and we'll progress through the end of the tribulation and the marriage supper of the Lamb. The tribulation was coming to an end and the Antichrist was amassing an army to wage war against God in the battle of Armageddon. But before we see this battle take place and Christ's second coming, there will be judgment upon the religious and political systems of the world. So I'm summarizing this, okay? So chapter 17, um, it talks about this idea of, and some of you even have a little title above chapter 17. It might say something like uh, the woman and the beast, uh, the woman on the beast, something like that. In the chapter, it talks about a woman and a beast. And again, there's that, that symbolism we talked about before. These are not literal. It's not a literal woman and a literal beast. It's referring to something that's being used this way. Um, and it talks about this idea in the very first thing it says, and there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials and talked to me, saying unto me, come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. So he's talking about this harlot, right? This great harlot that's going to be talked about. Now, again, I'm going to summarize the chapter. I encourage you to read it, you know, look at it, all of that stuff. But for time's sake, we're just going to summarize. So chapter 17, we see a detailed description of a harlot. That represents the religious system counterfeit to the true religion. So, as we've gone through Revelation, we've understood that for everything God has done, the enemy will counterfeit. By the way, we see that today, don't we? Um, In the New Testament, during the apostolic age, many apostolic miracles were done. In our culture today, I truly believe there are counterfeit attempts at so called miracles that are only intended to distract from the gospel, not to affirm the gospel, okay? And so even today, we see counterfeit things to the true Christianity. So uh, quickly, I'll give you a little bit of an idea here. You only got two lines there, I know. So sorry for that. I'm going to read a little bit, jot down whatever jumps out to you. And if you want a copy of my notes, I can give it to you. So here we see this religious system is tied to Babylon or Rome. So you're going to see Babylon and Rome talked about, okay? Uh, These are considered influential systems that permeate the known world. So the idea is that Babylon, Rome, these are influential systems that kind of permeate the known world. They have their hand in a lot of different cultures, okay? Worship of God to worship of man. So I'm going to read a lot, so don't try to write this all down because you're not going to be able to, okay? So again, the goal of this Babylon... Of this Rome is to divert attention away from God and pervert worship of God to the worship of man. So that's the idea here. Uh, Throughout history, this influence has been given many names and taken many forms. However, as we see here, one day judgment will come and this false religious system will be destroyed by the very system that created her. So, in the chapter, as you're reading chapter 17, you're going to find out the same system that created this religious system is going to be the downfall of this religious system. So this is speaking to humanistic religion, okay? So this kind of worldly religion that isn't Christ-centered, but man-centered. So chapter 17 is dealing with the the downfall of that system, okay? Now, again, I'm summarizing, but that's the basic idea of what we see taking place here. And as this is happening, it's because, again— Mankind becomes more and more the center. And what happens in religion whenever mankind begins more of the center and Christ is removed? We've seen this in church history. What begins to happen to that belief system, to that denomination, or that group, as more and more man is made the center and Christ is pulled out of it? What are some things we see happen within that church or that denomination or that movement? It falls apart. It weakens. Error, Error right? The whole reason for the Reformation was because error had crept into the church. Power, corruption, greed. These were things that were creeping in. And the believers were sitting back saying, whoa, time out. This is not what the church should be about. And the the amazing thing about the Reformation is, really, it wasn't a reformation. It was more of a getting back to the foundation. It was like, hey, you guys are doing all of this, but this is the foundation. It's the word of God. And it was getting the church back to that, right? So in a similar sense, it's not hard for us to imagine As this is going on with everything with the tribulation, more people are still, even all the judgments, they're resisting God. They're rebelling against God. They don't want to submit to God's authority. So where do they go? If they're not going to God, they're going to mankind, right? And if you follow the kind of dispensational view of end times, and we spend a lot of time talking about those different views. But if you believe there is going to be a seven-year tribulation and all of that, then the Antichrist is loving the more and more people are turning away from God and turning towards him, or towards self, okay? So 17 is basically just a descriptive way of talking about that entire religious system will crumble, which it has to crumble because it's not of God, right? Now we move into chapter 18, and it talks about there, chapter 18, verse 1. It says, And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Now, this is symbolism, but what's mentioned here? We see Babylon is talking about. what? What's happening to Babylon? It's falling, right? It's It's collapsing. So here, and this is in your notes, in chapter 18, we see the continued judgment against Babylon, or the political system of the world that stands against the Lord. So we see the religious system and the political system. And God is judging both of them, right? So both are being judged. Here again, Babylon is representing the political system of mankind that carries influence over others, leading them away from God. So it's that political influence. Not a religious influence, but a political one. So this system has produced wealth and celebrations. We read that in chapter 18, great joyful celebrations, tons of money, right? Isn't it amazing? Even in the seven letters, it talks about the church of Laodicea was known for being very wealthy and we're so rich and we're so rich. But how does God describe the church of Laodicea? Not as rich, but poor, right? Not clothed in great raiment, but naked, right? Afflicted, blind, search after the gold that I will give you right? That purity. Don't worry about the remnant that others want you to wear, but wear this white robe of righteousness. So he's comparing the two. Well, here, this 8th and chapter 18, this Babylon is wealthy. They're, they're successful, right? It's, it's working. They're, they're having success, but it's empty. It's vain. It, it, Christ is not at the center, so it will collapse. Unknowingly, those that partake will be judged. Those that are a part of the system will be judged, Believers are called out of Babylon, and we see that in chapter 18. It talks about believers being called out of Babylon, so not to partake of her sins. This is a call to be in the world, but not what? Of the world. So is that the same call we have today? Well, of course we're in the world, right? We're in the United States of America, okay? I still believe this is the most blessed nation on planet Earth. I I don't want to live anywhere else, right? We have great freedoms here. Is it a perfect nation? Nope. Nope. Is it a fully Christian nation? Nope. Do we have a lot of issues? Yes. But we do have great freedoms here that can be used and, and experience great freedoms of sharing the gospel. So we can enjoy those freedoms. But we are in the world, right? We're not of the world. Our citizenship is in heaven. When we come into Christ, we're members of his kingdom. We're here now, right? So we utilize what we have, right? We take advantage of the freedoms we have. We, we take advantage of the voice we've been given to try to improve our world and and make good and moral and godly choices so that it'll bless our neighbors and bless our communities. And and we try to elect people in our system of government that will forward those same ideas. But ultimately, we know we're only here temporarily. We're just passing through. We're sojourners. We already have a home in heaven guaranteed in Christ. So while we're here, we're in the world. But we're not of the world, right? We're of his kingdom. So in the same sense, in chapter 18, those are those, there are those who are kind of a part of it, but not of it. And so they're being called out of it, the same as we are today. But again, you see God making, whether it be the church, whether it be the 144,000, those that receive the mark, his mark and not the mark of the beast, there's these distinctions made. Do you remember our study in Exodus? We went all the way through Exodus. Do you remember the distinctions made between the Egyptians and the children of Israel? When the plagues were coming down, God made a distinction. And so in the same way, God is showing us what? In the afterlife, in heaven, as before the throne, what will there be? Distinctions. There are the sheep, and there are the goats. And there are those that are in Christ, and those that are not. And so we see this common to God's economy. Now, I put this in your notes there. Um, This was just more as I was reading through this, just kind of jumped on my mind. Why does John, the author keep going back to Babylon. Remember, when John wrote this, Rome is relevant, right? Rome is kind of that political influence, that dominating influence. Babylon is not influential in Revelation, right? In his timeline, in his culture, there's no Babylon. So it kind of got me thinking, why would John, in this prophecy, talk about Babylon? Rome makes sense, but why reference Babylon. So a couple of thoughts come to mind, and I, you may have different thoughts on this, but this is what came to my mind and in my reading. So the first one would be, what is the tribulation dealing with? Who's being judged? We know the world's being judged, but who else is being judged during this time of tribulation? Israel, right? Now, we, we believe that. And again, if you're, if you're a dispensationalist, you would believe this. If you're not of a different end times view, you might see this differently. But if you're a dispensationalist and you believe that God is dealing with Israel through the tribulation, that's seven years. Many would say this is a a final week or the final years of the captivity in Babylon. And so John may be, I'm not saying this is definitive. This is just kind of my readings. John may be reminding the children of Israel, right? Those that have come to Christ or those that still need to, He's reminding them, this is why this is all happening. This is just a continuation of what happened. In a sense, this is part of that judgment. Another aspect uh, I came across when I was reading through here was actually the founding of Babylon. Okay, the founding of Babylon. So if you want to jot it down, you can. Uh, it actually occurred in Genesis chapter 10, verse 10. So in Genesis chapter 10, verse 10, we see the founding of what will become Babylon. Does anyone know what city that was originally? Babylon. What does that sound like? Nimrod. Nimrod Nimrod was the one that founded it. Yes. So Babel is the foundation of Babylon, the same location. And so what does Babel make you think about? Tower of Babel. Okay? So now we're, again, back into Genesis. And what did the Tower of Babel represent? Man striving to be his own God. I like that. Yep. What did they do at the Tower of Babel? They built this tower. And so many people, we think they wanted to, it says, unto the heavens. They weren't trying to reach God, right? And I think it might have been When we were at Wyoming with Ethnos 360, one of the missionaries was sharing this. And when he said it this way, I thought I'd never seen it that way until that point. Um, He described it as if you are building a city today and and you want to make your city the best city out of all the cities in America, what's one of the things that we do in our cities to show the, the power and the might of our cities? What do we build? Skyscrapers. And the bigger, the better, right? Sears Tower right? The Empire State Building, right? They build these massive towers. For what purpose, though? So what will all the other people think about when they see that city? Man, they're awesome. They're powerful. That's what the Tower of Babel was about. It wasn't reaching heaven. It was unto the heavens. They were building a a massive structure that would show their power, their might. We can do anything. We don't need God. Now, what were they supposed to be doing? Spreading out, right? Filling his creation. Because here's the beautiful thing about our God. He made creation and he wants us to enjoy his creation, right? But they were in disobedience. What also was unique about the people at the Tower of Babel? They spoke one language, right? And so what does God do? He confounds their language, okay? Some people believe that they migrated different places. Some believe that he actually supernaturally moved them to another location, um, there's a couple different views on that. Um, kind of like in Acts, when it talks about that Philip was just taken up and then plopped down in front of the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch, and then he was taken up again. Some believe that God did that, that he just took this group of people that speak this language and plopped them down over there. Others believe they actually just naturally migrated away into different regions. Okay. Answers in Genesis has great resources on on this as well. But the whole point of this was rebellion. So then we see the city of Babylon later on in the Old Testament. And what happens there? Well, they're taken into captivity by heathens, don't even know God, right? And again, isn't it like God to take his own children and say, I'm going to put you in captivity to these people that don't even know me. To show you that I can humble you because you need me, right? Then we fast forward all the way to Revelation, and we see John referring to Babylon, maybe Because he was trying to remind them that it's their pride. It's their hard-heartedness that leads to the judgment. Okay? So again, connecting it all the way through. But read it. Check it out. Look into it for yourself. I'd be interested to hear what you come up with or if you have different opinions on that. All right? So we'll dive into just the first part here of Revelation 19. And then we will probably wrap up for prayer. All right? So we're going to go Revelation 19. We're going to start in verse 1. And if I can get two volunteers, that would be awesome. So two volunteers that would like to read, one through five and six through 10 would be great. If I can get two volunteers, Revelation 19, William, one through going twice, Kelsey, awesome. All right, whenever you guys are ready. All right. Thank you, guys. So here we see, uh, following this time of judgment in chapter 18, 17 and 18, um, maybe even some would say, maybe even along with, um, however you want to view that, we see this moment that we've called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Okay, Marriage supper of the Lamb. And so the key text we just read, Revelation nineteen one through 10, uh, this idea of a marriage banquet is not uncommon to the readers of John's vision. In fact, the marriage or the bridegroom relationship illustration is used for believers with Christ often. Okay. So all we're going to probably have time for is just go through that first letter A and then we'll break and we'll come back to this next week. All right. So letter A there, we see the cultural background of marriage customs in New Testament times. This is not going to be super in depth. Just to give you an overview. Uh, There were three steps in the marriage process and many see a parallel to our relationship to Christ. So, the three parts of a marriage would be, so number one under letter A, we see uh, a marriage contract signed by the parents. So, a marriage contract signed by the parents. Um, Also, uh, a dowry was paid to the bride's parents, either by the parents of the groom or the groom himself. Okay, so we see that happening in the custom. Um, I didn't have to do that when I married Sandra. Well, not up front. I had to pay a little over time. But anyway, um, that's a different topic. Um, Just kidding. Tough tough crowd. Tough crowd. All the men wanted to say amen, but they were scared. Um, They're like, she's right here. We talk about that stuff at prayer breakfast, not in church. Um, Just kidding. Uh, Oh, that's what you guys do at prayer breakfast. It's really encouraging for us. Um so here we see again a dowry was paid to the bride's parents um again as a customary way to show that they are willing to take care of the the uh bride. Number 2, uh, the groom returns for the bride usually a year later. So the uh groom returns for the bride usually it's a year later but the bride knows to expect him. They travel to his home in a parade type setting. Okay, so we see that. Um So we understand that, that that's usually what happens. And then number three, uh, the marriage supper itself, the marriage supper. Uh, This is a time of great celebration that could last up to a week. Okay. An example would be the wedding at Cana or in Cana marriage. So it's not like today, you know, today, usually there's some similarities. I guess you get engaged, usually spend some time apart, getting things ready, join together in marriage and then begin your life together. Uh, Usually what the groom would do during that year was they were preparing a home for their family. Uh, because what does Genesis say happens when a man and a woman get married? Genesis tells us this. What's, what are they supposed to do? A man is to leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they become one flesh, right? And that word cleave is really important, this idea of coming together in unity and oneness, right? It's this brand new family. So, and we've said this before, it's great that when we get married to glean from our parents and in-laws, they're wise. They've most likely gone through a bunch of stuff in marriage, right? Good or bad. So we can learn from them, right? We learn from their mistakes and we glean from their wisdom. We try to do our best to not repeat the same mistakes, right? Amen. And if you've been married for a long time and you have children that are either getting married or have gotten married, you've tried to encourage them in that. Hey, listen, here's some bonehead things we did. Don't do those bonehead things, right? But at the same point, when someone's married, right, when a man and a woman become one flesh, that's a new family unit, okay? They are not under, in the same sense, that authority any longer. So a lot of marriages have issues because mom and dad, on either side, have too much involvement. And it causes infighting. Because usually, the wife wants to obviously be a blessing and and listen to mom and dad. And the husband's trying to please mom and dad. And what ends up happening is you end up causing a lot of issues in your marriage. And so when this would happen, that's the reason they would come, receive the bride to themselves, travel back and begin their life together. Doesn't mean they didn't have relationships and talk to them and have contact with them. Of course they did. I'm not saying that. But so often in our culture, especially nowadays, it's almost like mom and dad have too much control in the marriage. Okay, so again, you see that dynamic playing out in this culture. So next week, we're going to talk about the similarities between the customary things that we see happening with marriage and obviously our relationship to Christ and our marriage to Christ as the church. Just a little bit of a heads up. The bride of Christ is not an individual. It's the body of Christ. Okay, I know it's really weird as a man when I'm called the bride of Christ. Okay, that's awkward. But that's not what's being talked about. It's the church, the body of Christ as one is the bride of Christ. So it's not, I'm not individually the bride of Christ. I'm a part of the church, which is the bride of Christ. Okay. So that's kind of how it's viewed in scripture. So we'll come back to this next week. We'll dive in um, and talk more about our marriage to Christ, what that looks like. We'll get into Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 which is a great passage on this. Obviously, it's kind of the key text on this. And then we'll come back and look at Revelation a little bit more. All right? By the way, we're almost done. So just three more chapters, right? 20, 21, and 22. And honestly, I love these chapters. These are the the best. Um, I love reading all of this. There's some stuff in there, obviously, still serious stuff, but some great rejoicing as well. And did you catch what, what God did again with John? Vile judgment, vile judgment, vile judgment. Babylon's destroyed. The great harlot's destroyed. And now you get to rejoice at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And you hear just all the praise and the worship and the honor be given to the the Lord. So we'll talk about that a little bit more next week as well. So we'll go ahead and uh, close this part of the service in prayer. Then we'll send you guys down to prayer. Guys will be down the hallway. Ladies will be at the end of the hall on the right, the last door on the right. Um, So Pastor Greg is not here tonight. So hopefully Zach remembered that. Um, If you go in there, Zach's in there with a small group. You guys can just come back in here. But hopefully he remembered that. So, uh, And then anyone that's not uh, wanting to be a part of the prayer time, that's totally fine. You're welcome to hang out in the lobby out here. There's uh, coffee, water for tea, and hot chocolate, and some some kind of cake. Did I see a cake out there? Lemon cake. Okay, so yeah. You can feel free to help yourself. Don't eat all of it, though, because those of us that are praying, we want to eat some too, I'm sure. But we'll be fine. Well, let's go ahead and pray. And then we'll let you guys head on to prayer. Well, Father, we thank you, Lord, for tonight. And Lord, again, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that we find therein of what we lost in Genesis. Uh, That in Genesis 3, we see the fallen world. We see sin creep in. And Lord, yet as we come to the end and the closing of Revelation, we see that you are bringing a restoration to creation and a restoration to humanity, to where we can have a relationship with you. And begin, Lord, to see the fullness of all that you've been working towards Uh, through your word. And so thank you, God, for being a God of purpose, a God of plan, a God of order, one that has overseen every moment. And Lord, as we talked about just briefly, that when we go through difficult seasons, that uh, you catch every tear in your bottle, that you write down every injustice in your book. Lord, I pray that be an encouragement to somebody tonight here, that if they're going through something, maybe they're struggling because someone has sinned against them. Maybe they're struggling because of something that uh, their own choices is bringing about the fruit of. Lord, wherever they find themselves, I pray that they would know that they don't cry any tear without you seeing and knowing and being aware. And and Lord, I know it's hard to understand at times in our lives, but you work all things together for good. And so I pray that we would just trust you more, know that you are in control, and that that's a good thing, that we can be encouraged by that. Father, be with this time of prayer to come. We give you all the glory and honor. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.